All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I am joined by not only my co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko, but special guest, Zahir Eptekar. Zahir, Mark, welcome to the show, fellas. Uh, great to be here. Great to be here. And again, it's still too dang hot down here in North Carolina to wear socks, but I do have, I do have the socks for the sock reveal. I have the rest in peace Bitcoin from my, my friends at Mount Socks. But the thing, the reason this is so important, you know, you see the little angel's wings and, and the reincarnation, you know, I'm just so tired of the Bitcoin is dead articles. I think we're up to 466 or something. <laughs> it's been declared dead by the media and it's not dead and it's not going to be dead. In fact, I did a call the other day with uh, a company we're invested in and we're looking to make another investment and they provide infrastructure to trading desks and, and big customers, hedge fund customers uh, around the world. They're growing 300 uh, percent. The demand for their services is literally off the charts. They can't fulfill. And it's everything from the whole derivatization and institutionalization of these assets. And, and when I say these, I really mean Bitcoin, Ethereum, and, and a few others, but, but mostly Bitcoin, as full, and stack is the wrong word, but full featured, uh, institutionally active, uh, investable asset classes. So mm. not dead. If you want some data to support that it is in fact not dead, you should go to bitcoinisdead.org, uh, where it is actually <laughs> uh, chronicled uh, in extreme detail uh, the amount of times and it links to article every article that said basically since 2011, I think when the first one went live, or maybe it was 2010, uh, that Bitcoin is dead. And agreed, Mark, it certainly is not. Um, so here. Do you have any socks for us by any chance? I'm putting you on the spot here, my man. Uh, dude, I, I, I wish. I'm, uh, <laughs> I was explaining this to Michael earlier, but I unfortunately tested positive for COVID. So uh, no, no sock life for me for about a week. Um, but, you know, ho hopefully hopefully it gets over that, that hump soon so I can wear my socks again. And he's still doing the show with us. What a champ. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Feel better fast. Feel better fast. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not, not a big deal at this point, but uh, we hope you feel better. All right, guys. So we brought Zaheer on here for a very special reason. Uh, Mark, you and I have been talking a lot about uh, where we are in the current market cycle of Bitcoin. We know it's not dead, but we know it's not at its best either. Uh, so we wanted to bring Zaheer on. Zaheer on, uh, works at Ledger Prime, uh, right? Which is a very, it's a great crypto hedge fund. Um, and he's got some more specific thoughts uh, on the market. So Zaheer, you're sharing a slide here where we're looking at the total market cap of crypto in general. And we're looking at that at the stablecoin percentage. Um, Mark, to use your phrase, if you're not following along with us on video, we are looking at alligator jaws here. So, so here, yes. walk us through why why are you showing us this chart? Uh, what does it mean? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of, you know, uh, questioning and a lot of, you know, um, uncertainty in the last couple of weeks around, you know, have we reached a bottom for crypto? And what does that look like? And, you know, where do we put ourselves in the macro landscape if we've been following a lot of the, 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 the monetary policy decision-making in the last couple of months. And I think one thing that I really enjoy looking at is just looking at the stablecoin percentage or uh, almost like a quick ratio for crypto uh, to look at how liquid crypto markets kind of are. Um, mm. And as you can see, you know, this is uh, historically in comparison to, you know, very, very um, 
crazy events that we've had in crypto, you know, where after COVID, uh, after the COVID crash, we had about 5% of the entire market cap go into stables or something, some number very close to that. Um, and you can see at every relative bottom that this number has constantly gotten larger and larger. Um, and finally gets to the point where it's almost, you know, 20% at one point of the entire market cap of crypto. Um, and what this tells me is two things. Number one, it tells me um, how much resilience there is in crypto and how much value there still is in crypto. Um, and so if, if you can look at this both in, in you know, uh, terms for saying uh, the overall market cap of crypto is down substantially, um, the stablecoin numbers actually haven't dropped much. And so on this chart, you can look at, you know, the aggregated amount of stablecoin uh, market cap. And that went from about a peak of 160 billion only down to about 146 billion. Um, and this is including all of the large liquidations we've had, all of the large, you know, and this is both on-chain and also, you know, the 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 lending, the, the, the credit crisis of crypto, essentially, uh, the 2008 mm -hmm. moment for crypto. Um, and even still, after all of these events have transpired, we were only down about, you know, 15, 20 billion dollars in stablecoin market cap, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and it almost all exclusively comes from Tether. Um, so USDC and, and BUSD, which is Binance's stablecoin, have been consistently growing in that time period. Um, and, and bringing it back to the original chart, what this also tells me is basically how much sideline capital there is in crypto and how much, you know, so, so to speak, of uh, the idea of dry powder, you know, exists in crypto. Um, and I think, you know, when you have double digit percentages of the market cap of crypto in uh, fiat and fiat, you know, uh, backed currencies, essentially, um, that's a very good sign. It's a very positive sign. And, you know, you're not seeing that that same type of contraction that you might have seen. Um, back in 2018 or 2019, I one thing that that comes to mind here is here, um, uh, you know, think looking at like the relative performance of Bitcoin versus ETH. Say, uh, you know, in the the past cycles, right, the the kind of trend for crypto is Bitcoin tends to lead, alts follow, right? They tend to outperform. Bitcoin, um, but then on the way down, Bitcoin is what people rotate back into, right? So they all there's a high amount of correlation between Bitcoin and alts, but they fall. Um, Bitcoin falls relatively less and outperforms in the bear markets. I wonder if do you, do you think the introduction of stable coins and having them be such a significant portion of the market cap now? Do you think people are rotating back into stables more than Bitcoin? So stables are almost weirdly sh stealing market share from Bitcoin in a sense, and does that explain some of the outperformance of ETH versus Bitcoin on these drops? Yeah, I think I think the entire industry. So I, I wrote an article about this. This is my first article that I wrote for Deribit Insights, um, basically talking about uh, the, the the cultural change that happened between 2017 and 2021, um, and mainly talking about how stablecoins completely um, removed Bitcoin being the quote unquote store of value for all of crypto. And this is a good thing, I think, um, because stablecoins generally have you know, less volatility, investors can hold on to them for a longer period of time. Um, and mainly because, you know, you have the trading pairs for all exchanges go from, you know, Bitcoin collateral to stablecoin collateral. So that both impacts very heavily the um, market dominance of Bitcoin and then also the relevance of Bitcoin in comparison to, say, Ethereum. Um, so, you know, this has been a huge shift that's happened uh, in the last couple of years. And this is, you know, if you look at crypto as a whole in terms of the most successful products that we've had, um, you could argue that the two most successful you know, products that see, have seen product market fit have been stable coins and exchanges. Um, and you know, now you can argue NFTs and so on and so forth. But um, stable coins have really revolutionized crypto in a way that you know, 
it, it was very hard to imagine, right? So uh, both Circle with uh, USDC was around 500 million in market cap in 2019, and now that's a you know 60 billion dollar you know uh, endeavor, right? This is a very large you know money market fund essentially, um, and same thing with with Tether, right? So it's a 60 billion dollar you know, uh, bank essentially. And this is, this is, this is, you're getting into the, a really, really large, you know, ball game of how much money can go into these things. Um, and they don't seem to be stopping. And that growth, you know, is going up regardless of, you know, bull or bear market at this point. I have, I have two follow-up questions for you there. Uh, and Mark, maybe I could call on your wisdom here as well. Uh, you know, but even when to hear you describe, right, uh, you know, Circle or, or USDC as a potential money market fund, right, or Tether, right, there's an enormous amount of uh, concern from regulators, right? So there was a Forbes article that came out yesterday that apparently, you know, quote, every single U.S. exchange is currently being investigated by the SEC, right? That's probably a direct result of the high-profile blow-up of several centralized lenders, right, uh, most notably Celsius. Um, so... I guess my question to you is, how do you see regulation impacting stablecoins? Because we also did have a very high-profile stablecoin that blew up. It wasn't a fiat collateralized stablecoin like a Tether or a USDC. It was an algo stablecoin. It wasn't right, a stablecoin. was not a stablecoin. They shouldn't even been allowed to use the word stablecoin. It's like me calling myself uh, an athlete. It's just that's a misnomer. <laughs> it's just not true. And you know, I can say it, and I can even believe it. But you shouldn't be allowed, and maybe shouldn't be against the law for me to call myself an athlete, but it should be actually regulated and it should be against the law for a algorithmic Ponzi scheme to call itself a stable coin. It's just, it's just not. Yeah, I think, you know, following on what Mark just mentioned, I, broadly speaking, I think um, stable coins are probably one of the best things for America. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, you're, you're uh, in a time so here we where- We are going to get along so well. I mean, I am prone <laughs> to hyperbole and, and you just out hyperbole the hyperbole master. I love it. <laughs> love it. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they truly are the best thing for America because, you know, in a time when your your uh, uh, hegemony is essentially being, uh, uh, you know, questioned left, right and center, you have this new product come out that is basically- you know, getting the entire financial stack of crypto, you know, monetized in USD, which is really, really good. And then you also have, you know, uh, I, I wrote about this briefly as well, this this idea that, um, you know, in an environment where the Fed has to tighten its balance sheet and it has to sell all of these bonds, right? Like now you can actually sell these bonds to someone. And if, you know, uh, there is a realistic scenario in which, you know, USDC or Tether or some other stablecoin could actually become, you know, one of the largest holders of US treasuries. Um, you know, this isn't such a far-fetched idea anymore. Um, you know, we're we're at sixty billion dollars today, and if the industry, you know, is is on the same trajectory, a trillion dollar, you know, market cap is no longer that uh, hard to believe. And if you get that for a number of stable coins, maybe two or three, um, you know, that starts becoming a very interesting, uh, interesting kind of uh, game to play, so to speak, for Washington. I think you know a lot of the a lot of this, um, you know, questioning that's coming from the SEC is is. Uh, I guess in some ways um, built up demand to kind of go after crypto. And I think, you know, after the credit crisis and also, you know, uh, Luna uh, imploding, it, it seems very obvious that, you know, a, a regulator would, would use these events to go and, 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 you know, put their stamp on the, on the industry. But I think um, thankfully, you know, the, the, the people in Congress, um, our new, you know, uh, blockchain associations and, you know, different groups in the U S are doing a tr- terrific job 
um, you know, informing people in, in office to, you know, basically treat this in the right capacity. Um, and I think it was Senator Pat Toomey who, right after uh, Luna imploded, tweeted out something saying, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. Failure is an option. You know, this is not, you know, this is not um, the end all be all for crypto and stablecoins. And, um, you know, being able to see the success of USDC and Tether and DAI and all these other stablecoins is a really good thing for, you know, the broader crypto market and for uh, the United States as a whole. Yeah, but let, 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 let I'm going to take the, the other side of, of the nice, nice governments here to support. I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Mm-mm. Look, we are we are right in the in the beginning of the then they fight you phase, 2009 to 15. First they ignore you, bunch of nerds and geeks playing with your funny magic internet money. Who cares? Then 2016 to 21, then they laugh at you. Ah, God, look at those nerds and geeks playing with their magic internet money. So stupid. Now they fight. Then they fight you. And 2022 to 27, the fight is on. And you know all this nonsense about well, we didn't do it to, to Luna and and to, to UST. Yeah, you did. It was an intentional attack, most likely perpetrated by the people who denied it. Although you know we'll find out later. But uh, and and it's not a coincidence that the day after, you know, Ms. Yellen had a prepared statement talking about the need for regulation of stablecoins even though UST was not a stablecoin. So you know, go regulate that, go regulate fraud, go regulate bad, bad actors, but don't, don't go after. And why do they want to regulate you know, uh, stablecoins? Why do they want to investigate exchanges? Well, because the incumbents are really unhappy. The incumbents are really unhappy at this red line surging and going parabolic because every dollar that goes into a stablecoin is coming out of a bank. And so I'll take the flip side a little bit to here that good for America agreed in the sense that America is a wildly over indebted banana republic with a toilet paper currency. Everybody says, oh, it's so strong. No, it's not. It's just less toilet paper. It's a higher brand of toilet paper than the yen and the euro. But this idea that that you want to fill up a trough of a stable coin full of banana republic bonds just because they've never defaulted doesn't mean they won't default and we got a whole nother topic on that later but but this idea that all of that capital is fleeing the banking system and this is not dissimilar we've talked about this on prior shows this is not dissimilar than the reason ant financial got sidelined in china right Mm -hmm. ant financial six six years ago i think set up an online money market, basically inside their their app. And you could take money out of the banking system and put it on your phone and you got paid interest. And they got $90 billion in less than a year. They became the third largest mutual, I mean, uh, money market fund in a year. It took Vanguard and um, Fidelity 70 years to get that much money. So the PBOC said, whoa, stop, can't do that anymore. Shut it down. Well, now it's $260 billion because they didn't really shut it down. So everybody's like, well, why did Ant Financial get get shelved? And why aren't they allowed to go public? It was because they defied the government. And look, the banking system in China 
makes the U.S. banking system, which is over-levered, not as over-levered as it was, look like a piker. It's really over-levered. So if you take capital out of the Chinese banking system, then you got problems. So they, they showed us the way of how to attack this. And you know, the, the Fed has worked really hard since the global financial crisis to reliquify the banks by keeping interest rates at zero. Right? That's the reason interest rates were at zero. It wasn't to help us or anyone listening. Right? Anyone, I, anyone you know borrow at Fed funds? Nope, not anyone. The only people that borrow at Fed funds are banks. Banks borrow at Fed funds at zero, now a little bit higher, but they were borrowing at zero. And they would buy treasuries because they were the only people that buy treasuries. The Chinese won't buy them. The Russians won't buy them. You know, you and I wouldn't buy them. Why? You know, it's a bad trade. So they buy treasuries and they, they make a 3% or 2.5% riskless spread. They lever that up 11 or 12 times. And JP Morgan, for the last, I don't know, umpteen years, has not had one negative trading day. How is that possible? If you're trading, you're going to have negative trading days. Well, you're not trading. That's just riskless arbitrage. So all of this is interconnected to the fact that Chinese don't want our bonds. Russians don't want our bonds. Chinese and the Russians just set up a deal. I love this. Two things they're doing. One, in the middle of the night, the ships are turning off their trackers and transferring oil so they can go to China. Love that. Stealthy. Very cool. In the middle of Imagine a big oil pipe, you know, transferring. And then the second thing, they just set up an exchange where you can now price your oil transactions. I'm sorry, no, your, your fixed income transactions, your bonds in renminbi. This is a massive, massive deal. And it goes to the hegemony point that Zahir was making. The hegemony is under attack and, and it will go away, right? The US dollar is on the way out the same way the, the pound sterling went out from 1913 to 1944. It took 31 years. This isn't going to take 31 years. And mm. stable coins and crypto are going to accelerate that, which is why they are you know, enemy number three, China's number one, Russia's number two, we're number three. So I have a, I have a question uh, because I, I can kind of see, maybe if I thread the needle here, because I can see what see what your initial point there was here, which is um, the US is going to need uh, some some form of bid, right, for treasuries, which is, right, the the kind of consensus has shifted, like, why would you own bonds, right, go short bonds. Um, but on the on the other hand, um, and I, and I I think regulators actually might view it as a source of risk, right? Because what they're really worried about is like a, a run on circle, right? A run on the bank, and then if they own sixty billion dollars worth of treasuries, then they become a, a seller, and they're worried about that too. Shout out Jim Bianco who uh, flagged that to me initially. Um, but uh, on the other hand, the other thing, like, and Nick Carter has really been pounding the table on this. There's a great article that he wrote, I uh, published in CoinDesk, I think, in September of 2020, so two years ago. Uh, but it's it's kind of this idea of the dollarization of of the world, and ironically, this space that the U.S. doesn't really like, um, you know, that they're threatening to crack down on and all this stuff. The winning the winning asset, the store value asset, which is here you just said, is the dollar. They didn't have to do anything. Everyone they just made a digital form of the dollar, like a crypto form of the dollar, and I feel like that actually is could be in it's. So the one aspect is like the, a buyer of treasuries, but the other is just this is another proliferation of the dollar in a space that de desperately needs solid collateral, right? And specifically, it needs uncorrelated collateral, right? So that's a collateral that's not necessarily going to go up and down with the entire market cap. So I thought it could be good for that reason as well, but I don't know, maybe just me. 
So here, I want to make sure we get through uh, any other slides that you have. Anything else that you want to walk through here? Yeah, I think just one more, um, just talking about, quote unquote, this idea of a bottom. Um, so mm -hmm. this is, you know, what I mentioned earlier, which is the stablecoin market cap versus the total market cap. Um, and again, not much of a dip uh, across the board. And this thing has been pounding along uh, for the last couple of years um, and, you know, kind of first time ever really stalled out. Um, but even still is kind of picking back up. Uh, we saw Tether with the first billion dollar print uh, in a while. So, you know, that's it's starting to look good again. Um, and then this chart that looks a little bit crazy, um, just to show the relative outperformance of crypto, uh, there's been a lot of, con you know, conversation, a lot of chatter about, um, you know, where crypto prices are relative to equities, especially this past week. Um, there's been a lot of concern that NASDAQ and SPX have been, you know, going up, but crypto hasn't been going up as much. Um, but when you look at it on a on a on more legitimate time frame, maybe on a on a one month one and a half month time frame, um, you can see that across the board, crypto has relatively you know greatly outperformed Nasdaq and, and S and P, um, particularly ETH and ETH related you know EVM uh, products. So um, you know you have ETH go up more than fifty percent in a uh, you know in a month and a half. Um, you know maybe it's not that easy to to constantly pound up higher. Uh, you know, throughout the uh, throughout the last couple of days, um, and it, it'll you know this it also works itself out, right? For anyone who trades, uh, you know, nothing goes up in a straight line, right? So a lot of guys who buy 800, 900 buck, you know, ETH, um, they want to sell their fifty percent gain, right? So uh, that's that's what a lot of this really comes down to, um, and it really shows how much more you know dominant the the ETH narrative has gotten in the last couple of weeks um, when you see ETH outperformance this wide, you know, against Bitcoin. Um, so I think as the merge is also, you know, coming around, uh, people are really starting to, to stack on their, their ETH trades. Yeah, I, I would echo that. I mean, just, uh, I mean, my, my inbox is, uh, is full of, um, you know, pitches just about, uh, you know, the ETH merge. And I think one thing that's been pretty interesting is the options activity. So the open interest, uh, on ETH options, right. Which is really spiked. And I think what's, what's interesting about that is that people are obviously going to speculate around the merge. Um, but the the chosen instrument that is being used is, is actually options instead of just buying spot, which to me signals more institutional speculator, or at least a more sophisticated speculator. Um, and they're pretty short dated options as well. It's like September, um, you know, end of September. So there's a lot of calendar spreads for, uh, you know, calendar calls um, that people are really putting on nowadays. Um, and it makes sense, right? Like, you know, th this is a meaningful way to get exposure without you know, piling into ETH on, on spot. And yeah. The, the market's gotten a lot less liquid in the last couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, this is a, a major, you know, inhibitor to getting a lot of institutional flow. Realistically, if you had, you know, uh, a couple hundred million dollars worth of ETH bid, um, that would push the price up significantly as opposed to, you know, maybe three months ago um, yeah. because of how much, you know, the credit crisis has really hurt crypto's liquidity. Yeah, but I think, I think this also points to... Again, this institutionalization, and I don't mean that in the sense of the institutions are coming, institutions are coming, they're going to pump all our bags. What I mean is, it's just that- Wait, the, they're not? Well, they, they are, but Eventually. That's, not, that's not what's going to make you know number go up, right? Number's going to go up just by continued growth and adoption and, and the, yeah. the network value rising. But- but the, the institutionalization I'm talking about is the just the increase in the number of instruments 
the types of, of trading around the instruments, just the talent migration from, mm-hmm. you know, the traditional world into the crypto world. You've got some really sophisticated trading firms now with big teams dedicated to this, doing very esoteric trades. And, and I mean esoteric with a positive connotation, not a negative. And, and it's all really, really good for the ecosystem because, again, back to the, when people say, well, you know, this is just a Ponzi and it's, it's going to go away and, it, and it's dead. Tell that to the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who have steered their entire careers into this space and are spending all of their time and effort. And they're doing stuff that, that the average investor has no idea. Right? When you talk about calendar spreads and things that are normally in the oil market or the gold market now happening in digital asset markets, wait a second. Those are smart people with with lots of capital behind them. Why would they be doing this if it weren't a real thing? And the other thing I love about about this chart, and it it goes to, you know, I I don't want to say that we were the first, Michael, but but we were first to officially (laughs) declare winter over. Um, You were the first. Why did we do that? Credit where credit is due. And why did we do that? So we did it because... Of, of the chart, right? Which is, and, and it's hard to see it, the orange line, but, but you can see it with the purple line too, uh, the Matic line. But this concept of lows, real lows are formed uh, when you have a series of higher lows and higher highs. And so it's this, you know, ball bouncing up a set of stairs as opposed to, you know, bear market is when the, you know, the ball is bouncing down the set of stairs and each bounce is higher. That's just kinetic energy, but you keep making lower lows and you end up in a really bad place. But here you keep making higher lows. And it was that third higher low three weeks ago where we're like, you know, spring is sprung, winter is over and, and we're, we're off to the races. And, and now we've made another higher high, just over 24 and we've made another higher low and, and this, this constant uh, increase in confidence and pulling capital back into the markets is, is how, uh, you know, we go from spring ultimately to summer. Now, summer, you know, we'll get the crazy parabolic blow off top mm. again. Mm. Uh, and Michael Saylor will probably be back, even though he's kind of on the outs right now. Uh, another one of, of Bitcoin not dead, right? You know, I love that, I love that Saylor's quote, in my next job, I'm going to spend even more time with Bitcoin. I'm not sure that's possible. I have a question for you guys. What is your interpretation of Saylor stepping down as CEO and going to exec chairman? That news kind of surprised me. Yeah. 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 In my opinion, I think he, you know, I think the market has finally, I mean, people have been verbalizing this for a while, but I think the market's finally realized fully that, you know, MSTR has basically turned into a hedge fund. Um, and, you know, wh- why focus your time on the day-to-day of managing a data company when, you know, if you're a hedge fund manager, you should go spend your time, you know, really evangelizing the product for one. And then also, um, you know, spending your time getting better fills, you know, spending your time uh, really focusing on Bitcoin, right? Um, and I think, you know, you can, 
for for Sailor too, right? Like he he owns the majority of the shares, right? He owns the majority of of voting rights. So, there, you know, it's one hundred percent coming from his own uh, volition to step down, um, and it makes sense, right? You can become a rock star, um, and by you know really turning Bitcoin into into a mainstream asset, and you know to to some extent he's already accomplished that. So, yeah, no, I think it's it's a really a really important analysis. Look. <laughs> People forget because most people actually were still in you know kindergarten when it happened the first time. Um, but uh, this is not Michael's first rodeo with Hail Mary. Um, in in two thousand, um, let's just say Michael had a little challenge in that he had a an idea for a business and there wasn't really much there there and. And he made a bunch of big pronouncements about stuff and and he squeezed the shorts. And it's one of my favorite stories in in the investment biz, which is, you know, he had a three dollar stock that, you know, started going up and had all this, you know, stuff. Some of it turned out not to be true, and he kind of got in trouble and was paid a fine. Didn't anyway. But but he 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 threw a Hail Mary um, and it worked. And everyone got short and the stock went to a hundred. And they carried out the shorts and then it started to go up some more and the shorts came back and it went to 200 and they carried them all out again. And then he really tripled down on this whole vision, his vision of the future. And the stock literally went to $330 or something. And then it went to three. Okay. So, I mean, it, it literally wiped out and then he got fined and had to pay and got big trouble. And then it was kind of not a story almost 20 years, right? Everyone forgot about this guy. And the business is meh. It's a fine little business, but it's been displaced by bigger, better, faster, stronger competitors over the years. And, you know, he threw a Hail Mary. He bought into Bitcoin. He basically turned himself. He's really, he's really a digital bank, right? I mean, he's, he's borrowing money and he's buying an asset and basically running a, a, a liquid bank um, with one big depositor uh, and one big owner. And so there's all kinds of, of potential nastiness around it. And you know, we'll find out how it plays out. But I totally agree. If, if you want to protect that thing that you have put, if you put all your eggs in one basket, you better watch the basket. And you better really focus and spend your time there. And um, I also think he's going to need to do kind of what Elon did uh, at the trough of, you know, when, when the, the short sellers were on him and, and the stock was going down and, and things were looking really ugly. You got to be up for a, a true manipulation. You got to really get up there. I didn't think you'd say it. I didn't think you'd say it. So, so, so Mark keeps it real. There it is. He keeps it real. There it is. You got to You got to squeeze the shorts. You got to uh, squeeze the shorts. Um, on this show, every time Mark says something not uh, lovingly of Elon, we get all the comments in the YouTube section. The, the comments all come for us at that stage. But like, I got, Look, you know, what would you want? The fanboy, <laughs> bring it. You know, you know all, all the, the Elon <laughs> disciples of the cult. I, you know, I, I love, I love the devotion. I mean, I really, I admire the devotion. Yeah. 
I, I think it's ill-founded personally, but, but I admire it and, you know, bring, bring the comments. It's okay. So. Yeah. I, I, um, to maybe not to detour us too much there, but like, have you guys, did you guys see these articles like about Elon's father, Errol Musk, um, and like some of the comments that he made? And I was like, okay, some stuff is starting to fall into place here. <laughs> it's just weird, dude. It's he, he's, he's what he said on, on radio, he was like, oh yeah, no, not particularly proud of Elon, but Kimball, you know, really proud of that. He's the chef. I was like, that's a very odd thing for that's a very odd thing for your dad to say on air. It's just very bizarre. Very odd. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And and even more odd, you know, Elon aside, Kimball? Really? I mean, <laughs> really? I, I mean, just, you know, yeah. I don't want to speculate on people's personal lives, but like I will say some of the recent Errol Musk comments, I was like, some stuff is starting to fall into place. Um, speaking of uh, just can, micro strategy. You know, it's going to be... I think it's going to be a reality TV show someday, kind of like Ozzy and and uh, his wife, and you know, um, it, it, you know the husband, the wife, the mom, I mean the mom, dad, you know the the series of wives and girlfriends, and I mean it is it is right out of a reality TV script. Did did you see the troll that he did? He so Rivian posted their numbers it was like horrendous numbers or something. They shipped like <laughs> seven hundred cars. And uh, Elon comments on it on Twitter. I had more kids in Q2 than they shipped cars. <laughs> it's like, honestly, see, that's where I just like, I don't like that, but I have, you have to respect just how old that is. Um, maybe you don't have to respect it. But it's annoying. It's, uh, I mean, you, you have to, you have to admire the chutzpah, right? The, you, I agree. You have to, I think that's, yeah. You have to admire the, just the unbridled, look, I mean, this is a guy who criticizes the regulator routinely, yeah. right? He's like, bring it, bring it. I'm untouchable. Mm. And look, pride goeth before the fall. And, and look, I've been saying that for a while and it hasn't fallen. Although it's down a lot lately, but um, anyway, who cares? Yeah. Um, I, you, you reminded me of something um, here when you were just talking about micro strategy and maybe Sailor accepting his destiny uh, actually as being a hedge fund manager as opposed to a stock. I will say, I was looking at um, a bunch of uh, crypto stocks uh, yesterday and you could actually, it was like crazy. The last five days, they were all trading right within a band, right? It was like Galaxy, Voyager, MicroStrategy. They're all trading like up like 15% or something like that over the last five days, except for one, which was Coinbase. So big day for Coinbase on multiple fronts. Uh, yesterday, we had a BlackRock integration and announcement, and there's an integration with Meta, right, on the NFT front. So let's just let's break both of these down, right? Because uh, Mark, this is another dimension of the institutionalization that you were alluding to. So I'll just Hashtag let me I'll read. probably a fad rocket emoji. I mean, <laughs> it's it's clearly a fad. I mean, clearly, clearly. this is passing fancy, not important, and, and I don't even know what Zahir is going to talk about here. Yeah, there's 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 really nothing to mention. <laughs> I guys, I mean, isn't to to me like BlackRock is basically an extension of the U.S. government, right? The U.S. government regulatory apparatus. You have to imagine, right? So, I mean, this is essentially a blessing from on high. But let me let, let me let me give you the this is the oh um, no, it's it's more than that, Michael. No, and look <laughs> to your point. Okay, BlackRock is the apparatus. Don't don't don't, don't right. look. They write the regulations. They have representatives on these special councils that that actually literally write the laws, 
them and Vanguard. And they pay big money for that privilege. And a good example, right? There's no spot Bitcoin ETF. Why is yep. that? Well, because BlackRock said no. And BlackRock will be the first one approved when they decide it's time. But right now they don't want it because that would hurt them and other people's efforts to short the shit out of the futures and push the price down and buy all the assets from the, the weak hands. That is their game. In fact, someone, someone tweeted at me this. I, I said that, you know, probably a fat thing. And they're like, well, BlackRock already owns all the Bitcoin. I'm like, well, not, not all of it, but, but getting close. And look, they, they are the rule makers and they are the reasons uh, that, that the regulators are going after these other ones. Yet I, I find it really comical that, you know, Gensler and, and his, his cowboy crew went riding into to Coinbase to storm the Citadel saying, we're going to, you know, we're going to regulate you and shut you down. And, and the stock tanked. I think it was down 20 some odd percent last week on that news. And then the next week, you know, the White Hats, you know, it's like an old cowboy movie, right? The White Hats come in, <laughs> Larry Fink on a horse, and I can see him on his little, you know, mini pony or something. I would, and, love, to see that. I would love to see Larry Fink riding a mini pony. Oh, no, no, be, no. And, and, look, and look, Larry's way more successful and way richer than me, so I should not make fun of one of the most powerful people in the world. Um, and I, I look, I admire what he's built. I mean, it's it's incredible to think he was a you know, fixed income mm. trader in an esoteric element of mortgages to to run the world. I mean, it's pretty impressive. So nothing but but love and, and respect. But but I do think it's funny that he puts on the white hat and he comes to the rescue. And, you know, Coinbase has an interesting dilemma, uh, as do all centralized organizations, uh, which yeah. is do you participate with the government? Not I me. Mean, I'll give you my my little theory. You know, you know why Google is Google, right? I mean, okay, they were the twenty first search engine. We invested in them in, in nineteen ninety six, and there are plenty of other better search engines. There was Web Crawler, and there was Alta Vista. There was Ask Jeeves, but none of them, according to the story, would allow the government to see all the data. And the way the story goes is there's this massive trunk that comes in from AT&T and it splits into two. And there's the, the tech closet over here and there's another closet over here. And this guy said, well, what's that? I said, don't ask, don't ask. Mm -hmm. So G-Men, Google, kind of interesting that it's, you know, but mm -hmm. you know, if you participate with the government and you show them the data, you will be blessed and anointed. And I think Coinbase just did that. So good for them. So I I would say, um, and, and let, let me just give you guys that just in case folks are, are wondering what we're actually talking about here. There was a partnership that was announced, obviously, between BlackRock and Coinbase, whereas BlackRock opened, basically allowed the ability to uh, get exposure to Bitcoin um, uh, through this partnership. So top BlackRock clients will be able to use its Aladdin investment management system to oversee their exposure to Bitcoin, along with other portfolio assets such as stocks and bonds to facilitate financing and trading on Coinbase's exchange. The focus of the partnership with Coinbase uh, will initially be on Bitcoin and Bitcoin alone. 
for the time being. So that's what, what when we say this partnership, basically, uh, BlackRock is opening up the distribution right through Coinbase as um, the execution system there uh, to get exposure to Bitcoin and only Bitcoin for the current time. So there is something that Mark mentioned uh, in addition to this. This was, you know, to the to the point of the spot ETF. So um, I think it was uh, Michael from uh, Grayscale who mentioned mm -hmm. something along the lines of, you know, uh, the SEC wants to see more institutionalization of, of Bitcoin before we can, you know, go ahead and do this. And it really seems like after the short ETF came out, and now this new BlackRock thing that's coming out for, you know, the largest asset manager in the world by a long shot, um, it really seems like they're setting up the stage, at least uh, to what Mark mentioned, of both allowing users to, uh, you know, directly interact with Bitcoin, and then eventually getting that spot ETF online with BlackRock. Um, and this also, you know, there's been a lot of speculation, and, and this is another kind of tangent that we could go into, but there's been a lot of speculation that, that BlackRock has actually been a huge beneficiary of the Mt. Gox coins. Um, so, you know, mm. that's like another whole can of worms. Um, so, you know, and, and it makes sense, right? If you can go ahead and go through uh, Fortress, uh, BlackRock definitely has, has you know, business with them. So uh, this is like a whole web of, you know, potential, uh, you know, steps that you can kind of take to see how, you know, the spot ETF might theoretically not be that far away. I think it's also because a lot of grievances in the last, three months have really been directed at the SEC's inability to pass the spot ETF from Grayscale. Grayscale has been single-handedly the most problematic point of failure for a lot of these lending firms, essentially. Yeah. And if that, you know, at that bottom price, if that became, um, you know, an ETF, if that discount didn't exist, a lot of firms would be way more cap well capitalized than they were, right? Like you can make the argument that Celsius or BlockFi or Three Arrows might not have gone under, you know. Um, mm. So all of these things could have been mitigated had that been an ETF. And I'm sure there's there's some pressure now to okay, this is actually negatively, very negatively, you know, affecting a lot of retail customers that have been involved in crypto. Yeah, well, and again, in the then they fight you phase, you know, how do you destroy uh, something that you don't like? You weaken the infrastructure. And how do you weaken the infrastructure? Well, you you attack the 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 most established players. You know, like like you know, if you were going to attack uh, a foreign country, what do you you you, you will you bomb their runways at the airports, right? Like that that you know, like in Top Gun Maverick, best movie ever, right? But you know, Maverick oh, still Mark, finds a way to it. take off despite the the. Uh, in fact, I should have worn my Top Gun Maverick shirt today. Um, just such a great movie. Um, but, but you, you know, you bomb the, the infrastructure and the same thing is true here is, uh, you, you look at grayscale, right? I think it was the fastest, you know, to uh, a certain asset level. I don't know, it was 10 billion or whatever, but it, you know, it was fast. And what, what do you do? Well, there, everyone was, was playing this game where they were buying the private shares and then selling at a premium because you had limited, uh, supply. Float. Yeah. of a limited float and, and higher demand. Huh? Well, let's see, what can I do? I can allow shorting of futures to push the price down. And then I can create this, you know, closed end fund discount like exists in the rest of the world. And, and just the big guys can arbitrage the little guys who are trying to play this game. And then, dagger through the heart 
is you you force them to seize the or take the collateral, uh, the lenders to take the collateral that has been impaired by you. Not that I would, you know, accuse anyone of, of doing that intentionally, but perhaps. Yeah. Can we make a comment actually on the launch of these ETFs? I, w- I would love to see a trading strategy that just does the inverse of whenever a major ETF is launched or uh, it, like an ETF or some sort of derivative product in this space. I went back and like the, looked at the ProShares inverse ETF that was launched yeah. at like the absolute Pico bottom. bottom. Yeah. yeah. It marked the yeah. literal well, bottom. Three times FANG, FANG U, uh, mm-hmm. FNGU, I think it is. Um, three times levered FANG, I mean, was literally... Mm-hmm. At, at the peak. So mm. uh, you're exactly right. When, when, the, when the big levered versions, although I, I will say the, the one place where that didn't work was SARC has been actually pretty good, right? The short arc mm. uh, has, has crushed it this year. So um, I think TVIX was also one that just blew out completely. Oh, um, or, brutal. Or, yeah. Brutal. Yeah. I actually have a, um, I was thinking about this with, because Kathy Wood has always been a little bit of a mystery to me. I actually have a lot of admiration for what she's done. Um, I, but but also sometimes I'm like, I, I'm a little unsure of how much she believes what she's saying too when she does these like public speaking things. <laughs> um, well, c- let me give you my, my most recent theory on this. So Jim Chanos, right? Like very famous short seller. He's got that fund that has like not done super well, right? But the reason, But the reason why it's still successful is because he is a thing. He is just constantly short, even in this environment of like up only, very bullish market. So he's become a you know, hedge it's, that it's investors really want to use. Michael, it's really successful because it, if you pair it with a long future, right? It's it's the greatest alpha generator of all hedge funds of all time. Like the alpha is like thirteen percent. So, so that's what I'm kind of saying. He's built a product, right? Even though his strategy doesn't necessarily work, it fits in to a larger portfolio of things. And I think that's kind of what Kathy has done with ARC too, because she has made ARC the primary vehicle of liquidity-driven speculation, right? If you want to speculate on liquidity and when the Fed is going to ease, boom, you go into ARC, right? So she's yeah. kind of, she's made a thing, yeah. right? Do you see yeah, what I'm saying? The difference is, it's, a, it's, a, it's again, as always, brilliant uh you know, piecing of, of the yeah, pieces together. It's no, it's, it's, it's a great, it's, it's, yeah. it's a great point that the difference for me is professionals versus unprofessionals. Mm. The professionals use Chanos as a tool, right? As a weapon. So mm. they understand portable alpha. They use his incredibly strong alpha. You know, the fact that you know, he's not completely out of business in a market that has been supported artificially for 14 years through QE yeah. is incredible. It's because they have huge alpha. Uh, so people, professionals use that. The levered punters and the pajama traders trading and speculating and, and they're not, and they're speculating and, and gambling uh, because now that's speculating with leverage on, on ARC. I, I think those people have gotten wrecked. I think mm. they will continue to get wrecked. And while I 100% believe in innovation as an asset class, okay, I kind of coined that term way before, you know, ARC existed. And you can go back and look at our, our documents. But innovation as an asset class mm. has been our thing for, for over a decade. And um, now, again, not as rich and famous as she is. But um, so I believe in that. 
but I'm with you, Michael. When when she says certain things, it's 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 more than hyperbole, right? It, it's <laughs> it's manipulation, right? When you say a stock is worth multiples of what any dividend discount model would tell you, just because you own it at a lower price and you want it to go there. And in the world in which we live of social media and and Reddit and and low float, right? That's the key is you have to have a stock with low float. And that's why, you know, Tesla works so well is the free float is teeny tiny. Very low. And so it's the yeah. same shares trading over and over and over again. The best example, there was a, I wish I remember the name. It was a consulting company back in 2000. It was a husband and wife team. They owned 99% and they floated 1%. And like that same 1% of shares would trade 50, 60, 70 times over in a day. And the stock just went like this and they would just feed the ducks and they would just sell the shares. And then they retired and, and the stock collapsed and kind of did a micro strategy to point hmm. back in 2001, 2002. And those days are coming for the manipulators. And it's not, I mean, there are lots of manipulated stocks out there, but I, 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 the thing I find back to the, the ETF, I find it hilarious that the argument against the Bitcoin ETF is that the Bitcoin market is manipulated. Mm. You mean different than the gold market is manipulated, different than Tesla's manipulated, different than all kinds of small cap and micro cap, you know, punting schemes. How about, how about AMC? Or GameStop, those those aren't manipulated. Come on, mm. just stupid. But uh, I've got one more question for you guys about this. Um, just about the integration of BlackRock's and, and and more institutions going to Bitcoin in general. What are your guys' thoughts on on that infrastructure? Right, because at the end of the day, if what Bitcoin is supposed to be is this highly disruptive technology, right, that provides people an ability to opt out from the finance system, right, and like that's a lot of the rhetoric that gets passed around in the community. But then it's like we're all cheering when BlackRock. It, you know, enables it to their sales to their client base. And I understand why that is, right? I understand that more marginal capital needs to come into the system. I understand that greater adoption is good. I understand that this isn't compromising anything about the security of Bitcoin, but it does seem a little antithetical to to the messaging. I mean, what do you guys think about that? Well, I don't mean to bash Bitcoin here either. To the, no, it's definitely antithetical to the, to the maxi mantra, which is not your keys, not your coins. And, you know, CFI doesn't need to exist. And, you know, that's what we're trying to burn down. And, and you, you know, Michael, this is my, my personal pet peeve, is those who rail against CFI and, and were cheering for Celsius and Voyager and BlockFi to fail, they're idiots. They're, they're just complete idiots. And, and I say that unequivocally because what they don't understand is if, if your goal is for Bitcoin to be a thing that you transfer onto thumb drive and bury in your backyard. We got that. It's called gold. And we've had it for 5,000 years. We don't need a digital version of something you can lose because you can't remember where you buried it. Um, it just, it's just dumb. What we need is a new monetary system to replace ultimately global M2. Uh, but that's a long path. And, and what Bitcoin is, is, is a blockchain, right? And what is a blockchain? A blockchain is a source of truth. And we're replacing trust with truth. 
That is massive innovation. That is innovation as an asset class. That is the future of money. But it needs to be deposited. It needs to be lent. It needs to be borrowed. It needs to be spent. It needs to circulate. It needs to be at the root of derivative contracts and all of the infrastructure around it. And some of that is going to be centralized. And that's okay because the entity itself is decentralized. And that's part that I think is missing. It's funny. I I think, Mark, you just... You mentioned all these things for Bitcoin, but you basically mentioned Ethereum, essentially. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. It's it's funny. I think like a lot of the conversation that we've been having over the last three years, I really saw myself go from being this full, full-time full Bitcoin maximalist and to now, you know, I, I wouldn't really use the word maximalist, but but very much an ETH, you know, an, an ETH head, um, simply because it just fulfills all these boxes that that, that I think you know, a sovereign money should essentially have and, you know, have that financial stack that exists. And I think, um, you know, to your point on the uh, on the on the lenders blowing up and now, you know, uh, a lot of Bitcoin maxis going out and being like, hey, we should label ETH as a security like this is it's it just it's all just unraveling so quickly for the for the Bitcoin crowd. And I love Bitcoin. It was, you know, it's the first thing that I fell in love with in, in, in crypto. Um, but it really just shows, you know, I, I think that the, the the, the lack of awareness to say like, well, why do I really love this thing anymore, right? Like, is it because it made me fabulously wealthy or is it because I believe in these core ideals? And I think, you know, that question is being, you know, you know asked every single day, right? Um, you know, there's a reason why there's a lot of, you know, maximalists who really hate ETH or DeFi or NFTs or stable coins, right? Because this is all a wildly successful, you know, uh, financial stack that has been built and Bitcoin doesn't have any of those attributes. Not to say that it could never have those attributes, but it doesn't have them today. Um, and that pathway to getting that network value, theoretically, you know, is a lot more arduous for Bitcoin than it is for ETH. Well, no, 100% here. And, and this is the thing that, again, just drives me crazy, right? Is what people forget, because they're not, you know, like, like Michael, students of history, you know, all of these constructs go back 40 plus years and and really for me was crystallized in in um 1988 around uh tim may right the the crypto anarchist manifesto and he predicted everything that would happen over the next 30 years the problem is no one read the crypto anarchist manifesto because tim was an anarchist ice you know solo i mean he's up in the mountains by himself and had no friends and i mean he had some friends but no one cared because, and it was the whole libertarian thing. It's like, well, you know, we want to, we want to blow up the world. Well, no, no, we don't. We don't want to blow up the world, right? We, we want to peacefully coexist and then we want to make improvements, but we don't blow it up and we don't want to be, you know, an anarchy is just a, it's just a bad term. And so you had this whole ethos that until Satoshi, whoever he, she, they are, came along and said, here, here's a tool that actually can be integrated. Now it can take share from these these other things, and and to your points here, it needs to have more functionality built on top. And I look, I still don't know. Are we going to have a single stack, right? Bitcoin, Lightning, you know, layer twos and threes and fours on top of that, or are we going to have a multi-stack world that's that's different? And that is the sixty-four trillion dollar question. And I think there's a lot of time before we we figure that out. But ultimately. What, what we know is that 
banking, whether you love it or hate it, is what separates the really great countries from the really bad countries. Look at any terrible country. I, I agree with that. Have a very yeah. bad fraction reserve banking system, right? Yeah. Every good country has a good fraction reserve bank. Now, it's controlled by a cabal, right? 800 years, the Rothschilds and the Medicis and, and JP Morgans and, and now BlackRock. Great. And that cabal's power is, is shifting, which they don't like. And this new movement allows more people to be involved. And that's a really good thing, but it has to have elements of centralized systems that we think we don't want, right? Oh, we all want to be sovereign. We want to be our own bank. Sure, sure. That is good. Except I, I talk about this a lot. I really like the fact that I don't have to sit on my front porch at night with a gun <laughs> or the banditos with bigger guns to come try to take my stuff. Right. I'm, I'm with you. Because my I'm money is safe, quote unquote, in an institution where if they want to rob the bank, go rob the bank, but don't come rob my house. Yeah. Right. And a, a, a an, an asset that sits here, you know, I was with a guy and he says, you know, I, I said, well, what about the personal security risk? What are you talking about? So someone comes to your house and says, give me your keys. I'll go to my grave. I'm like that doesn't fix the problem, right? <laughs> Saying you'll go to your grave and not give up your keys. Okay, fine. But that's a bad outcome for everybody. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, I don't get the anarchist loner. We want to be just here. I, I think we need a more holistic and, and more positive solution, which which I think a lot of people are working on. I'm really excited about. Yep. I, I will just say one word in defense of Bitcoin, which I know we're all supporters of. I do think there is something to be said for feature, not a bug of how ossified both kind of like the community and the code is. There's less attack surface. It is kind of what I would like from a money. So I, I, I do want to defend that. Uh, that Okay, whatever. That's a great point. Look. All right, I want to get to the last point here This because it's a big integration. I know we're running low on time. Meta. So Meta has just launched a whole suite of new uh, so their integrations, uh, again, with Coinbase. So big week for Coinbase. Credit where credit is due. Well done, fellas. Um, so there's an integration uh, on the NFT front. So they announced that they were launching like NFT support back in May, I'm pretty sure. But now they've spread it worldwide, right? And they've, they've got integrations with Dapper Wallet, with Coinbase Wallet. That's an... Uh, in addition to existing integrations that they have with MetaMask, Trust Wallet, and Rainbow, um, and basically they're they're really leaning into uh, the ability for NFT creators to post like very easily post their NFTs on Instagram at no charge. And the reason that I want to just bookend this and say that this is important is because Meta has what two and a half billion users, right? Uh, when they announced like this whole stablecoin trends here that you were talking about, you know when right about when that started was when they announced Libra. And even though it was a failed project, they still basically jump-started uh, that entire, you can look at when they announced it and the chart of stablecoin market cap. So they, ver they very much legitimized it. And I think everyone is just sleeping on Web 2 bringing users over into Web 3. Like it's gonna happen at some point, right? So I just think these sorts of integrations, while the market might not know how to value it, I mean, they feel very significant to me, um, is what I would say. Yeah, I, extracting all of the positive things that might come out of user adoption, I think it goes to show you something very, very interesting for one of the largest companies in the world, which is, yeah. you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook tried to fight crypto in 2018 and 2019, right? They thought we could own this whole thing. 
and we can go build it on our own and we don't have to play ball with the rest of these losers, right? And then they all came back, right, in 2021 and 2022. For the love of God, I mean, he changed his company's name to Metaverse, right? Um, you know, all of the core blockchain teams, including David Marcus, who led the Libra and Diem Association, have completely, you know, became crypto-pilled and, and are very, very, you know, uh, you know, not your keys, not your money kind of thing. Um, yeah. And then you also have Aptos and Sui now, which are now becoming their own blockchains, right? So it's like the entire thing from Facebook completely failed, which is good because they tried to pick apart this market, but it now came back in a way that's like, we still believe so deeply in crypto that we will, you know, we're willing to, you know, say goodbye to our branding of this entire asset class and instead play ball with everyone else. And I think that's the bigger point that I wanted to make here. And that's the bigger point that, that people should be looking into is, you know, we went from an environment where they wanted to own the whole thing and have a humongous seat at the table and just come along, but now realize that even their power, even their resources weren't enough to really make a dent in crypto. And now they want to play ball with the rest of us. And I think that is the right kind of mentality to have. And, you know, for a company as large as Facebook that has the, you know, the resources, the money, the connections, whatever you want to call it, you know, they literally own, you know, half of the internet in India, right? Um, for a company that has this much, you know, mindshare, for them to come and say, hey, we're going to integrate all of these third-party apps, right, at no additional charge, and we don't have to, you know, necessarily cut any sort of deal with them, that is a humongous advantage for crypto. That is a humongous win, right? When Apple goes and brokers a deal with, uh, you know, apps on, uh, on the App Store, they're taking a humongous cut from that, right? right Facebook right. is not taking any sort of, you know, swap fee, to my knowledge at least, right? from MetaMask, from Coinbase Wallet, from what have you, right? So this is all becoming, you know, much more real at a much faster pace. Um, and I think a lot of it, you know, uh, Michael, we talked about this earlier. A lot of it really comes down to this boy who cried wolf mentality from crypto where people have become so apathetic towards, you know, the Mt. Gox narrative, right? The institutions are coming, you know, we're getting mass adoption, all of these things, they're all happening, right? But people are just like, ah, I don't care anymore because, right. you know, I've lost all my money or I just, you know, who cares about the space or whatever. Um, but it, it, this is, this is what they mean by, you know, that, that, that mass adoption happening in the background and people just being asleep at the wheel. Um, Alex Kruger posted something great regarding the BlackRock thing. Um, he said, you know, t two years ago you had BlackRock, you know, announced that they would integrate with Coinbase. You'd have had 20% on the day for Bitcoin. Mm. Right. And today it's like, ah, like, you know, sideways to down. Right. We all became macro, macro enthusiasts instead. <laughs> No, no, it's, 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 a, it's a really, really good point. And I think related to that is, you know, Meta's down a lot, right? Yeah. Over the past year, I mean, it's down a lot. And, yep. and there's a reason. It's because they're losing that dominance that they've had uh, as a platform, right? I mean, there, there was a time when we thought they were going to have four, five, six billion users. And, and that, that user growth has slowed. And, and people have realized, you know, wait a minute, why why do I create content for them for free? But the one thing they do have in that critical mass is an ability to wipe out innovation and competition. You know, Snap is a great example with Instagram and and how everybody just you know flocked to to the the, the easier um, platform. But I, I do think this attempt at making nice is, I think, going to sow the seeds of their demise in the sense that you know, this is a 
platform that was built around the idea of of single company dominance or or multi, you know multi company dominance like duopoly triopoly um, oligopoly um, and and that is not the direction we're heading in a decentralized world and and there's going to be an ability for each of us to own our identity to own our attention to own our creations and look a whole bunch of I hate to say this a whole bunch of people putting mediocre art on a big platform doesn't change the fact that it's still mediocre art there's a very small amount of really good art no accounting for taste but uh i do think it's important but i i actually think it goes to at first it was going to be we are going to be the metaverse right meta is where everyone's going to come nope nope if i'm going to go to a concert i'm not going there i'm going to go to madison square garden i might go to disney town square I might go to the Fortnite town, town hall, although I, I thought it was interesting. I just learned this the other day. Travis Scott, I guess, is like upset because he became the Fortnite guy. Like it like ruined his career. What? Because Seriously? he was associated with being the Fortnite guy and that wasn't cool anymore, right? And I think is Travis Fortnite Scott's doing cool? fine, right? I think. But but I just, saw, I, just, I just heard this from a bunch of kids who were saying, no, nah, he's the Fortnite guy. He's cool. Um, but I just think that's interesting, right? So where you go and where you you show your wares is, you know, mm -hmm. brands you. So I, mm -hmm. but I, I do think the chance that Meta I has. I think that's very interesting, yeah. The chance that Meta has is numbers, right? And if they can get those numbers to be loyal to the spot, like I still have a Yahoo email address because I'm old and, and I'm not gonna give it up and, and so that's where I go. And, I, and so I get my stuff from Yahoo, which is weird. Most people get it from Google and other places. But communities will go where they're comfortable. And that Facebook community, even though I'm not part of it, uh, although it's funny, I had to create a Facebook account for one of the games I play with my son. And so I get these notifications every day. Oh, this person wants to connect me on Facebook. I'm like, I don't even know how to sign into Facebook. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, I know we're running low on time here. We have one other very important announcement, which is we've got DAS coming up in September. We've already talked about it, but more importantly, there is a competition between me and Jason and Jack to see who can sign up more people. So there's a code, Mike250. I need y'all to sign up and use this code because please, for the love of God, if Jason beats me, I'm not gonna be able to look at myself in the mirror, okay? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I, I don't Mike need 250. I'm gonna, Mike I'm 250. Tweet it right now. Mike 250. I don't even. Mike I don't even need. Yeah, Mike 250. Tweet it out. I don't even need me to win. I just need Jason to lose, please, for the love of God. Uh, there's also a little prize that's associated with it at, as well. There's a there's a dinner, right? So we're incentivizing ourselves. I I will overshare my personal life here. I just got a new a new lady friend in the mix. So do it for Kate, so we can go out to a nice dinner all right do it for kate nice. do it for do donald it for jason kate. mike 250 guys i need your support here all right mike 250 sign up and, and mark and, is going to be if, there and if as people well don't use mike 250 then i'll just boycott and then there will be no headliner so i appreciate it yeah mark is and mark mark is a, a das he's a blockworks og but he's the das og as well closed down every basically every das we've ever done and it's been 
I mean, we've talked about it on the show before, but it's been a freaking blast. So come on, you got to come and see Mark in person. And so here, maybe I'll, I'll bully you. I don't know what your schedule is, or hopefully you'll be feeling better by then. But hey, man, you can make it by New York. I know you're a digital nomad, but we'd love to yeah. see you there. Yeah, hopefully I can come back to the US by then. <laughs> All right. Well. <laughs> All right. Fingers crossed. Fellas, this has been a ton of fun. This was a great pairing, by the way. I'm glad we made this happen. We'll have to do yeah, it again soon. Great. No, it's great. Zaheer. Appreciate it. Zaheer, thanks for coming on. Mark, favorite hour of my week, of my friend. I will see you next week. All right. Week. Have a good Cheers, weekend, guys. everybody.